It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's real? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Real podcast, episode 176. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my co-host, cohort, co-contributor, co-conspirator, and my co Tag Team Championship Partner in Podcasting, the J himself, Jared Bajoris. What's going on, you dildo? Uh, your co-whore, the blue-eyed lion, is P-U-M-P'd. Hey, Ed, it's the what's real world. You know me, I struggled saying that, and I pulled it off. That's how pumped up I am. Actually, this week, hey, Ed, as it works out, as pumped up as Party Marty himself, that says it all. Let's do the damn thing. It's the double or question mark, baby. Yeah, we got a party-filled show for you this week. Uh, as the Jay already mentioned, we're going to be talking about the dark side of the ring, all about Marty Jannetty. Uh, it's a big party at training camp at, with the first episode of HBO's Hard Knocks, all about the New York, New York Jets. And on Thursday Night Prime, you can't have a party without Gary Busey. And we're going back to 1986 with Eye of the Tiger, which I believe was solely named that so they can use the song. But... Uh, and, of course, we're going to be talking some goofs and much, much more. So let's just get into it, The Jay. Uh, we had an action-packed weekend of sorts, uh, first in the world of wrestling, all centered around one malcontent CM Punk. Uh, it's really weird because in a matter of one show, uh, he apparently got Matt Hardy sent home, Adam Page sent away, uh, had a confrontation with Nick Nemeth and Jungle Boy, of all people. Uh, so, you know, seems like a real nice guy. Glad they got him around. Good for morale. It's, it's a thing where we said in the dying days of WCW's wrestling fans, hey, Ed, the inmates are running the asylum. And there's reports that Tony Khan was kind of marking out to CM Punk doing like a CM Punk chant in the tunnel before CM Punk went out on collision and stuff like that. And if that's the case, you know, that's one thing that people in the know would always state about the WWE. It has its one chief for good or for worse in Vince McMahon. You're not going to see Vince McMahon, uh, you know, fanboying any wrestler in the last 40 years. And, and if, if that kind of stuff's true, all it is is a tell. It's not like the biggest deal in the world, but it is a tell of kind of how Tony Khan's mind's working and how he looks at his particular company fanboying some of his own guys. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, in a way, it's, you know, you think wrestling's gotten better because it's not like all fucked up like it used to be like years and years ago. But in a way, it kind of sucks that it's not that way anymore because if this was 30 years ago, somebody would just would have beaten the shit out of them and it would no longer be a fucking problem because this dude apparently walks around backstage like he's fucking Bruiser Brody of the company. Um, I don't get it. I don't like, is he really worth all this trouble at this point? I don't re And I know that there are people that do. Okay. But I, I don't give a fuck about punk. I don't care about his matches. I haven't really looked forward to much of anything that he's done outside of when he debuted and maybe the dog collar match with MJF. Is he really bringing that? Like, is are 4 million people watching every week because he's wrestling on a fucking show that's on a Saturday night? I don't think so. No. I mean, he's one of the few legit needle movers, in air quotes, if you will, 
nowadays. But like you said, is does the good outweigh the bad or vice versa? That that's the question. Uh, I'm seeing reports now as we speak with with this having broke, like you mentioned from the the weekend's shows. You know, so there's been a couple of days during the week here for for some other fallout. And it states that CM Punk, you know, obviously opening this can of worms last week when he did take a shot at Hangman Adam Page once again, uh, doing a promo that wasn't supposedly scheduled after Collision went off the air. But reports suggest that he has apologized to Page. Uh, this this comes from a report by Voices of Wrestling's flagship wrestling podcast that revealed that Punk personally apologized to Hangman by text message for the comments that he made after Collision. The report further states that Punk wasn't happy with the way he delivered his post-collision promo as he felt that he shouldn't have touched upon merchandise sales and then goes on to say that the 44-year-old is taking shots at the elite so that there's a possibility that he can feud with them in the future as per the report. So Which take is that great. for a grain of salt. Because, I mean, if that's the truth, we all know the best way to start a feud with somebody is to just shoot off the cuff after a fucking show's not even on TV anymore. So what's, like, what is this dude doing? Like, on one hand, he acts like he's this savvy wrestling guy. And then the other hand, he's like a reckless jack-off. It's fucking stupid. I don't understand it. I don't care to understand it. I think the guy is not worth half of the trouble that constantly gets brought up. Um, It makes the company look inept. His comments make the company look stupid, like they're doing shitty stuff with merchandise. They're on, and dude, this is the big killer for me. This is all everybody's talking about with wrestling. And we're two weeks out from the biggest show in the history of the entire company where they're drawing over 80,000 people to a stadium show. And it's like nobody gives a fuck about it. And that's what comes out of this, too. It just makes Tony Khan look really bad. As it should. Because we, you know, many times throughout the years when we've talked about AEW here on the show, um... You know, we've talked about Tony. We were like, you know, we kind of feel for Tony. We like Tony. I'm, my suggestion is that's completely switching, in my opinion, at this point. Um, he's a goof. I don't know how the fuck he's running his company. Uh, a lot of people have pointed to saying that all this is a work, which if that's the case, then Tony's really an idiot because you're working who? The fucking Observer readers, which everybody knows the last time someone did that, was the mega draw of pro wrestling himself, Vince Russo, uh, who's done nothing but massive things in professional wrestling, like the horse shit we talked about last That's week. That's what I was going to say. Yeah we, 2000. yeah, we talked about it last week, and we even mentioned in there one of the biggest factors in the demise of WCW was them kind of doing their booking and creative towards both the hardcore fan and the the boys. They would even work the locker room. And, you know, if, if AEW is even doing one of those two things, which in this case, as we're talking about, would be just, you know, going after the hardcores. I mean, that's one possible business model that you might think that could ultimately kind of, if it evolves into appealing to more of a mass audience or something like that, I, I could see. Other than that, it's it's repeating history of, of something that failed. Yeah, and it's always that thing when you're doing stuff like this where you're essentially saying to your audience, all that other shit is scripted, but this is real, right. which is dumb. It's not, I know that kayfabe's basically dead, and this is like the new way of trying to revive it, but it's it, there's nothing that shows that that works. 
I don't give a fuck if they're smart fans or not. To me, and I consider us in that group, would you, the J? Like, we'd be considered smart fans, right? Of course. Okay, does that make you want to buy anything? Does that make you want to support the company? I I don't know about you, but for me, it makes me just want to quit watching it. The only thing I could say in contrast to that would be the fact that we're here on our podcast platform talking about it. And it's a big thing that the professional wrestling social media people are talking about. But to that point, like you said, we're smart fans. We're the hardcores. So that that's, you know, the demographic that we're saying. Nux is back at and, it. Hey, Eel. Uh, of course he is. He, we got a big show lined up this TNP, week. So he, but yeah, I mean, I just don't understand what this really does for anybody. It just makes the company look bad. And then on top of it, if it is real... Um, then how the fuck does sending Paige away and Matt Hardy home and fucking getting into shit with Nick Nemeth, who's never even on their TV? Like, so you're just going to make four guys look like total fucking idiots to work an angle? That's that's not good either. So I don't like I just don't get any of this, whether it's a work or not a work. If it's a work, it's stupid and they're fucking up bad. And if it's not a work, they're letting punk run roughshod all over the company, which it's going to eventually lead to guys being like, fuck this place. I don't want to be here anymore. And this is right after the entire elite just re-signed. So like, what the, f- and I don't know about you, but like, I think a lot of that shit was to eventually lead to punk and Omega facing off. That's the match, right? And I could see if all this shit being real, Omega literally being like, I'm not working with this fucking idiot. What does Omega get out of that? Punk gets to work with a dude who's legitimately one of the best dudes in the business where he's going to look great no matter what. And what's Omega get? To work with an over-the-hill guy that hasn't really particularly put on a good match since he came back. And you know damn well if that match isn't good, that's the type of shit that's like kind of a black mark on Omega at this point because that's what he's known for. So what are we fucking doing here? On top of all that, too, depending on what you believe from all the swirling rumors and et cetera, is the fact that due to what kind of transpired after Punk's infamous post-pay-per-view promo, that there's still legality situations going on and things that, that have to do with court and lawyers and stuff. So from what I understand, CM Punk and the elite can't even be in the same building at this juncture. So I'm, yeah. I'm sure that's something they could get figured out. And if everybody's going to do business in time, it could work. But from where we're talking right now, I believe that's the case. So then it really doesn't make sense because you, you legally can't even be in the same fucking building as these yeah. dudes. I, th- this is just such a fucking mess. It's literally the thing a lot of detractors have been saying since day one about AEW. Um, and it's apparently coming true. I don't they they had every way and possibility of just getting punked the fuck out of there. Um I don't under, and they got scared. Uh like Punk was going to leave and go back to WWE. Remember we talked about all that shit when all that stuff originally happened? Right. Um I don't think there's any chance of that happening. I don't think no, Trips wants to deal with so it. Either. I I just I don't even know where that came. I mean that might even be somebody from Punk's camp or somebody planting that shit. But, like, if that was me, if I was Tony Khan, I'd be like, then fucking leave. What is every person that watches our product going to fucking quit watching because you went back to WWE? Like, WWE is the main company. 
So, you know, like WWE is the one that got to watch doing shit like that. Like you're not going to want to piss off Roman Reigns and have him go to AEW. That's understandable. But if it happens the other way around, it's not going to kill AEW in any capacity. It's just not. No, you're exactly right. It, it's it's like people have called guys like that. And even Jericho specifically, had he had said when Punk first did the whole pipe, you know, second pipe bomb of sorts, that he was a cancer. And that reputation from what we're seeing from the outside in as fans with our podcast platform, it looks like he continues to be said cancer in the locker room. And it's also weird because Jericho had plenty of stuff to say about Punk after the first thing around. And you don't hear of any any issue with him and him and Punk backstage. And you, you know what? The, the good point, because you made me think of this, it's something I wanted to mention. Adam Page hasn't said jack shit. And I love that no. about Adam Page. Yeah, it's. I'd be the same way. Yeah, it's like, a good I'll, way to ha- tackle it, man. It's like, okay, go ahead and go into business for yourself all you want. I'm just going to keep doing my thing and stay in my lane. Like, fuck you. Or even if you did want to do something about it, I'd be like, you know what? Go on TV every week and fucking do your little cutesy comments. I'm going to see your ass backstage. And I'll deal with it there. Exactly. You know, it's it just is part of it. It's, it constantly feels like Punk is just throwing his weight around, essentially. And... That's not like, can you think of an, like, it, I'm not, I know it's not exactly the same thing, but it reminds me of Michaels in the 90s in the WWF. And it's like, how great did that work out? By the time where they were hitting on all cylinders in 98, his ass was walking out the door injured. Right. And when and, he was doing all that shit, he was in his prime. To your point, Punk's 44. He's at the, the final end, of, you know, the back nine of his career. Yeah. And I mean, even in the time period before all this bullshit happened, he suffered a terrible fucking injury, which fucked up a title reign and everything else. And that that's literally like the worst part of the AEW World Championship is all that muddled bullshit around that time. And then you got this dude since coming back on collision, he's carrying around the fucking real world's championship and shit like that, making fucking MJF kind of look like a doofus because they can't wrestle on the same show, apparently. So it's like it's just there's so much shit going on. And even if this stuff isn't real, right, if this is all a work, a lot of the booking and stuff going on in this company right now is just looks like muddled bullshit and they're fucking up bad. And it just seems like there's no direction, no clear cut thought out plan of what they're really trying to do. And you're working uh, with two shows running parallel to each other. And all this shit is gone, like you said, like the you know, according to the lawsuit and everything. If that's all what we've heard, there's true. These guys can't be in the building at the same time, right? Okay, great. Well, how the fuck's that going to work for all in? You know what I mean? What are they going to have a trailer outside that a bunch of guys have to fucking sit in because punks in there eating fucking Wheaties or something? Like this is it's bullshit. You're not going to be able to run a company like this if this is all true. The AEW's really starting to falter as a company in general. And it's just a lack of focus and everything else. It's not what they need. Even if Punk is drawing numbers, it's not beneficial to the company backstage with morale. Or long-term. Or any, yeah, or especially long-term. Because you're going to put all your fucking plans into a guy that's 44 years old? What's he gonna, is he going to be wrestling until he's 70? And and that's where we're at, man. It's, it's kind of like the great philosopher Stone Cold Steve Austin always said, AEW and Tony Khan are coming to their... 
uh, and of course I'm going to flub it. There come the Jesus meeting with yep. this huge Wembley show being sold out, breaking all these attendance records and everything. Humongous test. And as we talked about off air, the really wacky decision to do the all out 2023 pay-per-view a week after Wembley in Chicago. Yeah, I don't. And by the way, that show has one match to announce for it. One. Like, I don't know if they don't care because they don't. I, I don't think it's at the United Center. It is. So like, oh, it is, okay, well, then they got to fucking sell 20,000 fucking seats for that. <laughs> yeah. So like, what are we doing? Like, this is just like, dude, I know. Like, we talk about shit like this a lot on here where it's like, I don't claim to know everything, you know, like I know a lot about football, but I'm not going to act like I know more about football than Bill Belichick because I, I don't. I, I That's you're stupid. I kind of think, think you way. do. No, well, I appreciate that. But <laughs> uh, but like with this kind of stuff, it's like we know enough about wrestling and how shows are booked and how things are sold and marketed and stuff like this just looks like it's in plus. When are they going to overrun Chicago? They've run it how many fucking times since Punk's return? Yeah, you would think that supply and demand there would be getting kind of oversaturated. They booked Wembley, right? And they got 80,000 people coming. If they book Wembley every single month, you think they're going to get 80,000 there? Of course not. Eventually, the shine is going to come off. So what the fuck's going on? You know, it just seems like a lot of poor decisions. Uh, just kind of compounding on each other that's going to end up being a complete clusterfuck of their business. I hope I'm wrong, but knowing what we know about wrestling, like if I'm a betting man, I'm not betting against what I'm telling you here. Yeah, and and again, a lot of our inquiries will be answered in the coming month with the Wembley show right into the All Out show to see what happens. So I'm interested in that at least, and uh, I'm hoping that they can kind of write the ship, of course, because we were huge proponents of AEW since its induction. We love the fact that there's an upper tier, true alternative to WWE. We always go into the, we understand it's not direct competition and all that kind of stuff, but just it's just a good time to be a wrestling fan. And I think that's our point with these major cracks in AEW's foundation and from the past of what we know being young teenage wrestling fans and watching the hottest professional ever, ever was in the late nineties and seeing a company that we had watched since we were kids in WCW go under and get purchased by Vince McMahon. We don't want to see history repeat itself. And and I think that's our concerns. And a lot of people think that stuff will never happen. And then just like I said last week on the show until it does. Right. So that's all you can say, but you know, obviously, we'll keep our eyes and ears on this as the weeks progress to see, you know, how this all kind of shakes out. Uh, hopefully, what we're saying isn't really the case and things aren't as bad as we think they are. But you never know. Um, and we'll find out. So uh, but moving over real quickly to the world of professional football, uh, the NFL basically started this past weekend with the uh, the preseason uh, and specifically, as we do here on the show, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, they would have a game in Tampa Bay against the Buccaneers so that they would go on to win 27-17. to 17. Um, A lot of interesting things going on in this game uh, for the Steelers so far. Uh, first up being the most important uh, X factor, I guess, of the season so far for the Pittsburgh Steelers is none other than quarterback Kenny Pickett, 
who had a pretty good game uh, overall. He uh, threw for 85% in the game. He was 6-7 for 70 yards and one touchdown with a QB rating of 147.9 in the one drive that he had. Uh, I thought he looked pretty good. Um, I thought the offense looked pretty good. Um, you know, we saw uh, George Pickens uh, have a nice touchdown catch, a 33-yard catch that, uh, it, you know, kind of reminded me of something you would have seen years ago from Antonio Brown. Um, I thought Calvin Austin had a really nice showing. He had two receptions for 73 yards and a touchdown. Uh, a big one from Mason Rudolph, who also looked pretty decent in the game. He got more of the playing time than anybody else. And uh, But, you know, uh, it's still early. Um, I will say that, uh, you know, I did, I know that they weren't going crazy with a lot of guys, but, um, you know, early indications is that they look solid, um, but it's very early. No, it's the beginning of the beginning's beginning. Hey, but yeah, Pickett and Pickens are definitely on the right track. You you love to see that Pickett uh, throwing some solid balls. He displayed great pocket awareness, you know, constantly keeping his eyes downfield, um, he, he definitely looked like a starting caliber quarterback who's comfortable in his offense. That, that's what we want to Same. see. Same. Yeah. So, Much more so than last year, too. Yes. And, and Pickens is going to be a monster. Uh, you know, so so definitely some good highlights. One, one thing that I, I was really watching, hey, Ed, uh, watching, I watched the, the first three quarters pretty extensively. And I'll be honest, I was hoping the Steelers' starting offensive line would look a little more dominant, especially against the bunch of back, backups at the start of the game. But they did have some struggles. Yep. So, you know, we got to see how they gel. There's a lot of guys from all over the place. So, uh, you know, like you said, it's the beginning of the beginning here. Preseason game one It's going to take them a little bit to get chemistry. I get it. Pros or not. But that was that was just a, a, a bit of a, a note. And then, yeah, my other one is right with you with second year wide receiver Calvin Austin, who was hurt most of last year is just a speedster with that 67 The speed's going to help. Yeah. It's going to help. Speed yeah, kills, I mean, dude, I mean, put it this way, right? Like, we know what we're getting out of Pickens. I mean, well, we don't know what we're getting out of Pickens, but we have a good idea, and it's possible that he's going to be much better than he was last year. Fine. Uh, Deontay Johnson is what he is at this point, okay? Uh, you're going to have Allen Robinson out there as well, another veteran receiver, and then somebody with that kind of speed with Calvin Austin. Um, you know, Last year, we had a lot to say about the offense in general, where, you know, is Pickett going to be any good? Uh, is, is Najee Harris actually good? This line's a mess. Are these receivers, what are these receivers? You know, that kind of stuff. Is, is Pat Fryermuth going to take another step forward? Um, it looks like, you know, like you said, Pickett looks like a starting quarterback in the NFL. The receivers look really good. They look like they have a lot of weapons and a lot of things uh, are going on. Um, but one of the biggest worries that I have, and I don't know if you've seen or heard anything about this, but I guess Cam Hayward uh, was on a podcast and he was talking about, you know, the team in general and things like that. And he made a comment about, uh, uh, what, my, I totally just had a brain fart, uh, the goddamn offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, sorry, um, that his offense is very vanilla looking so far. And he's, you know, he's like, I know it's the preseason. He might be keeping a lot close to his chest, but you hope to see that maybe it can make a few strides from what he's seen so far, which I thought was a little bit alarming. Yeah, um, from but if they can, fuck. But if this, but if this offense doesn't gel this year, that that's obviously the problem. 
And that's what I think the problem would be, too, because they rebuilt the offensive line. There's a lot of good stuff going on here. If they have a vanilla, boring offense that can't put up points, that's immediately where I'm pointing my my hand at. They're going to be in right big there. trouble against the big dogs of the NFL. That's for sure. Yes, um, absolutely. So I, I was going to go to the uh, the defensive notes. Hey, Ed, Nick Herbig. Looking unreal. Looked really good. <laughs> so yeah. that was that was good to see. And then following that was, of course, our rookie nose tackle, Keanu Benton. Who he, got injured. He hurt his ankle. So that's what I was going to mention. Hopefully it's not too bad of an injury, but he was stuffing the line, looking like a man against boys. So uh, that was definitely a, a big positive until the uh, ankle injury. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of other factors that – haven't like Minka didn't play at all. TJ Watt didn't play at all. Cam didn't play at all. Larry Ogunjobi didn't play at all. Um, I don't have a problem with any of that. I think those guys are all veterans to the point where they don't really need the reps, especially in early preseason. Um, you know, and there's a lot of guys that need to get worked out. Um, I do like what I've seen and heard about Quan Alexander so far. Um, very, very athletic player. Um, the, every report and everything that I've seen about him says that he's one of the linebackers that looks like a starter. Yeah, possible so starter, yep. Um, I don't know. Like, they seemed – I've heard a lot of stuff, too, that seems like they're apprehensive. Like, he was brought in for depth. And I'm like, knock that shit off right now. I don't give a fuck why a guy's been brought in or not. If he's playing the best, he fucking starts. You're, you're a fool if you run your team another way like that, period. I don't care who the coach is, what you're doing, or otherwise – uh, get your head out of your ass. If a guy's a starter and he's playing like one, I don't care if you brought him in to be special teams. He starts. Don't be stupid about it. Um, but, you know, I have. I think we all have very high hopes for the defense, but that's very difficult uh, to kind of gauge. You know, the starters, like a lot of those guys that I mentioned did not play one single snap. Uh, a lot of the backups and stuff were in there. They They have been adding a lot of players, which, and I wanted to bring this up, because I don't know if you saw this. I thought this is really interesting. Uh, so they, after the, the weekend's game was up, they went out and added more people to the team. They went out and signed some more corners and brought in a couple more linebackers. But there's a guy that they brought in who's a cornerback that the Steelers signed. And guess who he is? Who? So he played in the XFL, okay? He's w- rapper Warren G's brother. That's funny. Or son. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said brother, but he's his son. And I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that's pretty goddamn random. Um, but I do like that they're tankering and they're not settling for stuff. Um, I have a feeling that you might see some guys that you thought might make the team this year not make the team. And specifically one that I watched uh, during the game that I, I was like, holy fuck, he looks like shit is James Pierre. Uh, He gave up a big touchdown in the game that he was right there on and just didn't make the stop. Um, I'll tell you right now, man, if if you're a defensive back on this team and you're not looking good, good luck. Because they have plenty. Like, Patrick Peterson isn't going anywhere. uh, Levi Wallace isn't going anywhere. Obviously, Joey Porter's not going anywhere. So you better keep your ass playing and start playing well if you want to be on the team, especially if you're not making up for it anywhere on special teams. Right. Yeah. Cause I was going to mention the, the Steelers corner depth didn't look great, but uh, Madre Harper 
who I wasn't too familiar with, he stepped up. He had a, a few nice plays and coverage, so he's a name to keep an eye on. And, of course, uh, a big eye, speaking of that, that I had on was Darnell Washington. And, man, he was taking Muggs out as a dominant down blocker. So that was really good to see for the Steelers. But it doesn't look like, it, and from everything that I was reading and, and about him too, he's not quite there with catching the ball. Yeah. yeah um, be and he's not play. a good route runner. So hopefully that's not a big giveaway. You know, like if he's out on the field, teams are going to think that you're running automatically. Um, I really wasn't too enthused about anything I saw from the running game either. I mean, I saw a nice jet sweep that Calvin Austin ran with that speed. Like he might end up being like a really nice like X-Factor type player, but the Steelers always seem to struggle with that. Yeah, Like even when a guy can do that kind of stuff, it just doesn't seem to break out or anything. The last guy I remember like that that was any good was Antoine Randall L. So, and that was a long time ago. Long now. time ago. So, um, but you know, not bad for for a first preseason game for sure. And you obviously want to see them improve on that, and hopefully they can keep uh, the injuries to a minimum because their their safety position's really thin right now with injuries and stuff like that. With Devontae Casey being hurt, um, who knows? They're going to expect a lot of these guys to do a lot of stuff this year and. They're just not going to do it if they can't get on the field. Yeah, I mean, for a meaningless game, definitely still resulted in plenty to talk about as we just proved. Hey, Ed, and next week, of course, is our first home preseason game as we host the Bills. So we'll be talking about that. Check that one out. Absolutely. So we're up against our very first commercial break, and the football talk doesn't stop because whenever we come back, we're going to be talking all about the first episode of HBO's Hard Knocks, all about the New York Jets. So stay tuned for that and much more. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Herman James with the What's Real Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the What's Real Podcast and join the team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we could hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timothy James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the J, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. Join us next week on episode 177 of the What's Real podcast. The NFL season kicks off as we take a look at episode two of HBO's Hard Knocks, and we have an NFL season preview as we take a look at the NFC. Then the most explosive action-packed segment in weekly podcasting continues with What's Real's episode 177. It's back with Sidaris as Andy Sidaris, the director of them all, returns. It's Day of the Warrior. Hi, this is Timothy James with the Whisper Podcast. As always, back representing Goose or Goose Strong. Talking about Goose or Goose on episode 177. With a guy talking about things like spiders that can give you permanent erections. Wait, I'm stopping there. DJ, is that true? It is? Jeez, Timison, I'll wrap up for him. He just ran off thinking he could find a spider that can give you an erection. Goose or Goose next week as always, guys. All that and much more next week on episode 177 of the What's Real Podcast.
And we're back, and it is time to get into the very first episode. So it's official, the, J- the NFL season has officially started here on the What's Real podcast with the first episode of HBO's Hard Knocks, all about the New York Jets, a.k.a. the Aaron Rodgers family, um, <laughs> yeah. which was one of the weirdest episodes of Hard Knocks because it was obviously all surrounded around Aaron Rodgers. Uh, for the first time since the show started, we saw Liev Shriver, the uh, the voice of the show, uh, actually show up to training camp, along with Method Man as well. Um, but, dude, it's kind of weird. Like, I this is kind of what I expected this to be, right? But, like, not a lot of football to me. Like, it's uh. all just guys gushing about Aaron Rodgers and things like that. And, you know, I'm sure so... We're obviously a week behind the way we do this, and we record on Tuesdays, obviously, before the new episode. Uh, so the new episode is going to be what it is, but the next one is going to clearly have a big uh, storyline because it was just announced today that the New York Jets have signed Dalvin Cook to a one-year, $8 million deal. So they are really going all in on this team. Yeah, they are. So I don't know. It's going to make for an interesting season of hard knocks for sure. Um, but yeah, the first episode, I mean, it was funny. There was some funny stuff in there, um, obviously with Rogers and everything, but I, I just don't like him. I think a lot of the shit that you're seeing is phony with him. Um, you know, he could be a miserable prick and he very well could be by the middle of the season. Um, but you know, it, it's kind of what I expected here. I, I liked what I saw from Robert Sala. They did show him doing some stuff. He had this, uh, his metaphor about the uh, the eagle and the, the crows, crows yeah. that kind of thing, <laughs> yeah. which was kind of funny. Um, but, you know, not off to a bad start for the most part, but I, I could see myself getting tired of this very quickly. And it's also weird because it seems like this might be one of the first years with Hard Knocks where they're not so much focused on can this guy or that guy make the team, which is a weird perspective because that's usually what the storylines are about. Right, which which could be a good thing. We'll have to see how that plays out just to switch it up a, a little bit after all these years. But, yeah, I mean, HBO did its thing, you know, as far as production value, of course. They always do. They had the opening montage that suggested the parallel between Broadway Joe's Jets and the 2023 team being led by Rodgers and, and everything like that, as you mentioned, kind of going into um, – the, the head coach's metaphor and, and speech and everything. And, and Lev Schreiber coming was a huge thing. And then you got Aaron Rodgers going around like, come on, guys, go meet him. He's the voice of God, narrator of hard knocks. So, And I love how whenever he said that around him, he was like, nah, that's John Facenda, who actually was the voice of God, the old NFL yes. films guy. And that was a that was a good shout out. And then you know another big portion of it too that I found pretty interesting because I like the players was of course the Jets having the wide receiver rookie of the year last year Garrett Wilson and the defensive rookie of the year Sauce Gardner and they play against each other in practice and they showed a bit of highlights from that because we say that all the time. Of course, the usual what's real parallel of bringing up a pro wrestling reference, but you you only get better against better people. So those uh, two. The per- the proverbial iron sharpens iron. Exactly. Like those two going against each other is is definitely a, a good thing for uh, the Jets to to have, obviously. Um, some other highlights was the dynamic between Zach Wilson and Aaron Rodgers. And they do mention, you know, Zach Wilson kind of 
obviously, which you know he has no choice anyway, but he kind of just gave in to being the backup now because he started last year. Uh, was he a rookie last year? Hey, Ed, I couldn't remember. That. He was. Yeah. So, yep. you know, now he's under Aaron Rodgers, but he could learn a lot. And, and Aaron did take him under his wing, like you said, at least in the footage they showed. So we'll, we'll see how that it, relationship kind of grows. That might actually work out well for him. Uh, you know, like, especially if he sits for a couple years, uh, he might, he's still very young. Uh, so by the time he's ready to start, and I'll tell you right now, uh, he obviously started their first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game against the Browns, and I thought he looked really good. I mean, he's shown some stuff. I mean, obviously, you know, he started and his beat the year. Steelers last year. <laughs> yeah. for Christ's sake. So, you know, it's, it's definitely the potential's there, and it's not going to hurt working under Aaron Rodgers. But I mean, this team, I mean, they're embracing it, and I get it, right? But it's early. When you're embracing the pressure, that's fine. That's what you want to see a team do. But we all know that that pressure just continually, like, you know, then the regular season starts. And then the midseason comes around. Well, then the playoff season, crunch man. comes around. Then you get into the play. Like, it just builds and builds and builds as your body keeps breaking down and down and down. So, um, you know, they're going to have adversity. They're clearly playing in a loaded AFC, which is not going to be easy for any. Like, I don't think... And there's a lot of good teams, right? I don't think anybody's going to have an easy walkthrough in the AFC this year. You, this is one of those things I could see this where there's a lot of really good teams in the AFC. And then meanwhile, like the Eagles are like like yeah. 17 and 1. They're the worst division you know? there is. Yeah. They're, they're just kind of cruising because they can beat up on the NFC where the AFC is more like a battleground. Um, but, you know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. But, you know. For the first, you know, ever this was all about like getting back into the emotion of football and everything like that, which, you know, it comes hand in hand with what Hard Knocks is. And, you know, for the first episode, I thought it was pretty entertaining. Like I wasn't bored with it, but I'm usually into the first episode. Now catch me with like the last two episodes or something where I'm like, you know, I'm on the show and I'm like, these are fucking pointless. Just get this shit over with already. They're not even doing anything. Um, but you hope that it's going to be an entertaining season because I think that's so far so good. They definitely have the making uh, of what can be entertaining because there's a lot of personalities on this team uh, along with a coach and, and guys like that. And then obviously too with Nathaniel Hackett being on the team uh, who everybody might remember is the possibly one of the worst head coaches of all time for the Denver Broncos last season. Um, and, you know, which something was addressed by the way by uh, Sean Payton, the new coach of the, the Broncos that, uh, a lot of people seem to take offense to. He's like, this is a uh, fucking mess. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, rightfully so. Like, I mean, I understand people being upset by it, but I also understand him saying what he said. So, um, but that there's a lot of things going on, you know, like that, that can kind of play into the season of hard knocks that I think could certainly make it interesting. It just, you know, as usual, it matters just how they capture everything. Right. Yeah. Cause some of my last kind of highlights that I had noted, hey, Ed, were, they did have some great footage of Aaron Rodgers at practice, just showing you why he is a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like he was doing that, that one dude, drill with the colored, the throws. yeah, like the colored holes. He'd be like, red hole, whap, blue hole, whap. And then there was that one he threw like a 50 yard bomb and hit it in the basket. It's, it, I call it like the wheelbarrow throw. Yeah. That's what you're kind of like throw, but like, and I don't like the guy. Okay. I don't. But goddamn, like the skill level oh, there's there a is impressive. Course. Yeah, of course. 
I mean, he's he's going to be in the Hall of Fame, like as he should be. Is whether I like him or not, that's irrelevant. Um, the guy can still sling it around, so it's going to be interesting too. Because one thing that I will say about this team that I'm not super familiar with, I don't know how good their line is, uh, and I'm not saying that I think their line is bad. I'm literally saying I don't know how good it is. So it's going to be vital that they protect him because as he goes, so does their season. So. You know, I doubt we're going to see much of Aaron Rodgers playing in the preseason, if at all. Um, and I wouldn't anyway if I was their coach. I'm like, you're not playing a single snap in the preseason. There's no point. You've played in this league long enough that if you need reps in the preseason, like, I don't know what the fuck's going on with you then. It's stupid. Yeah, right. Yeah, and another funny thing, because it kind of came out of nowhere, they had the footage of the Jets at the Hall of Fame game in Canton. And they have Aaron Rodgers standing with his team, and he's next to a former Green Bay Packers receiver because Aaron Rodgers did bring a lot of his buddies over. Uh, but he's, like, holding his his arm with uh, Randall Cobb. And DeMarcus Ware sang the national anthem for the Hall of Fame game, which, like, they're like, is is he going to sing the national anthem? And, dude, <laughs> you, know, you know what's really cool? I don't know if you heard why he sang the national anthem. No, I was I mean, that came out of nowhere. That's what I was saying. I'm like, God damn, and he killed it. So DeMarcus Ware, you might remember, was on that championship team of Peyton Manning on the Denver Broncos. Right. And remember Demarius Thomas, the receiver that unexpectedly passed away? Okay, yeah. So they literally would stand arm in arm next to each other before the game. So like after he passed away, he was like, I'd like to do this. Because that was like kind of our thing is like friends on the team. So like, I was like, that is a really cool thing. And you know what? For a fucking football player... He Hell did pretty yeah. good. Big ass football you know, player singing. Not not the easiest fucking song to sing, too, especially in front of a, a nationally because that game was on NBC in primetime. Preseason or not, it's still a primetime game. Uh, so they were able to do that. And he did a pretty good job considering. I didn't expect him to be Marvin Gaye, but he did well. Yeah. It just was very unexpected and, and good footage there. But yeah, just to surmise my take on the first episode. Hey, Ed, I, I agree with a lot of what you were saying. Uh, I just thought that it was a, a good start, though. It was fun. You know, it had some drama in it, always well put together. You know, they had like um, Aaron Rodgers was messing with the equipment manager, Vito Contento, because he was joking that the last time the Jets were on Hard Knocks, which was some years ago, Contento was still the equipment manager and he felt snubbed. <laughs> so he's, you know, maybe Dude. he'll get some uh, some more TV time. And, and Aaron Rodgers, like him or hate him, like you're saying, Head, it's it's cool. It's it's along the lines of when we covered the quarterback docuseries talking about getting to see the ins and outs of Patrick Mahomes in his prime. You know, this is like a little glimpse just as far as the specific part of training camp. But at least you're seeing Aaron Rodgers towards the end of his career as a Hall of Fame quarterback. Love him or hate him, it's still a pretty cool thing for me as a football fan. And I did think it was kind of funny the one part that they showed where he was walking with Nathaniel Hackett and he was just kind of breaking his balls. Yeah, he's like, Hackett's he's funny. like, oh, he's like, Leave Shriver's over there. Did you go meet him? He's like, No, I didn't go meet him yet. He's like, Well, go meet him. He's like, Yeah, I don't know. He's like, Don't be an asshole. Yeah, go he's over like, and say he's hi like, I'm to not him. being an asshole. <laughs> He's like he's trying to meet like, some just, people. He's he's nervous. <laughs> it's like don't be an asshole. Go over and say hi. Yes. <laughs> like, but I, I got a kick out of that. So, uh, but so far so good. I'm definitely looking forward to to watching the second episode and and throughout the season here and and uh, hopefully it's you know one of the better seasons of Hard Knocks because I feel like uh, and we've said this on the show that it kind of felt like it's maybe run its course up to this point. 
So it'd be nice if, if they could get a season where it's like, okay, it felt like it kind of got its mojo back this year. And, you know, from the first episode, I think it is possible. So hopefully they can keep that momentum going and, and we get an, another really, really good season of Hard Knocks here. We mentioned they got to they gotta step it up a notch. They have some real competition after 16 seasons with Netflix and the Peyton Manning produced quarterback docuseries that covers an entire NFL season as opposed to just one team, one preseason camp, and a few preseason games. So, uh, you know, we'll see. But this is a tradition for us. As you mentioned, hey, Ed, it is official. We've been sprinkling in some NFL talk with the preseason looming, but now we're in the preseason, one under our belt, Hard Knocks episode one in the belt. We're, we're full on with our NFL coverage. So it's always a good time. We love our football since we were kids. So let's do it again here in season four of the What's Real Podcast. Absolutely. And just one quick side note, this has nothing to do with Hard Knocks. I didn't know if you saw this or not. So I was watching the NFL Network today and I saw a commercial for this is the show probably for our generation as far as being let in on the inside of football. And of course, I'm talking about inside the NFL. Uh, it was a famous show for many years on HBO oh, and it. moved to, to Showtime. Did you see where it's airing this year? No, it's going to be on the CW. Really strange. So it's going to be on regular television for the first time ever because it was always, always on, on pay TV. Yeah, yeah, always on pay TV, and that's kind of what they're saying. They're like, you know, now we got the NFL show, and it's for everybody. Like, you know, yeah, even though it's marketing, yeah, yeah. So it's Makes sense. you know it, but I'll be interested in watching it again. I've kind of quit watching it since it left HBO, and I'm curious to see what it's going to be like just being on regular television. So. But with that being said, we are up against another commercial break. And whenever we come back, it is time to party with Marty. It is the season finale of Dark Side of the Ring on Marty Jannetty. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. What's the most action-packed segment weekly podcasting? Thursday Night Prime. What segment of weekly podcasting do the hosts literally put their lives on the line? Thursday Night Prime. Join us each week in the month of March for the most action-packed weekly segment in podcasting where Hey Ed and the J look back at all kinds of weirdo B-action movies. It is Thursday Night Prime. Vice's smash hit wrestling series, Dark Side of the Ring. You don't just play a character, you inhabit the character. Is back. And we're back, and it is time for the season finale of Dark Side of the Ring on none other than one half of the Rockers, Marty Jannetty. Uh, I don't know how many people are aware of Marty Jannetty um, other than just his career itself, but uh, he's had quite the... Reputation for extracurricular activities. Um, during his career, he was considered a partier, but nothing really beyond that. Like nothing that was out of character for you know most people in the industry at the time. But he's kind of become infamous for some of the stuff that's happened after his career. But uh, you know, this episode is a very weird one, I guess, because. You feel bad for Marty. And yeah, it's kind of all over the place. It is. It really is. And I think that one of the things that I got from it is that he's 
not somebody that's ever properly adjusted to life outside of the spotlight. Um, he does wacky, weird shit online for attention. Um, there is a possibility that maybe he's not all there. Uh, maybe too many injuries, get hit in the head a lot. You know, you don't know. Um, they basically highlight the fact that he has had an absolutely gruesome ankle injury um, that isn't really getting any better. All the way and, from 96. Because yes. Al Snow's on here, and Al Snow was Marty's tag team partner in the New Rockers at that time, and they show where he rolled his ankle. Yes. And it's, you know, I don't know. Uh, the, well, first and foremost, they, they get into the, the whole pain thing with him. Uh, they have a surgeon that he's friends with. His name's George McCluskey. Uh, and he tells everybody that Jannetty's current pain level has to be a 12 on a good day. And they basically show him getting around, and it is really bad. Um, he's mainly in a wheelchair for the most part, but any type of walking for him is incredibly difficult at this time. Um, and it's this is the sad part of this because you're you're just seeing, you know, a guy that's essentially can't even get around on a day to day basis with the things that he does. So that's not, it's not just disturbing; it's it's fucking rough shit. Yeah, it's sad, and, and you don't want to see people have to go through stuff like that. But I mean, it's just how the wrestling business really is for a lot of people that were formerly in it. Their bodies are in really really bad shape. And they don't really seem to have anywhere to go with it. No, because you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You know, you don't want to, you know, if you want to take the advice of going down the road of uh, p- pill abuse, then you have to live with pain. You know, it's 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 just, it's tough. And, and it is, it was tough to watch. And, and just as far as Marty's personality towards the beginning, they had a, a friend of uh, his named Karen Walker on here. She states that she had known Marty for the last 40 years. And she says, you can't believe 99% of what Marty's talking about, that he just comes up with the strangest things. And if he is telling you a story, it's likely not to be true. <laughs> so that goes into what we know, the carniness of old, especially the old school generation of professional wrestlers that we know of. Hey, I'd even go into like to Hogan and Flair and the kayfabe shit. And they're just always working as we always say. And you even get a little bit of that from uh, Bruce the Barber Beefcake and his wife who were featured on here, kind of saying that like they feel bad for Marty, but they also realize that he's kind of troubled in that way. And um, and he gets sucked into fantasy whenever it suits him best. Um, but, you know, they don't believe everything that he says. And he, of course, says a few things on here, like bragging about his sexual exploits. Yeah, he said uh, uh, hookers would give him freebies when he was 13 because he thought they were cute. And um, he says that he was talked into attending a sex addiction clinic and dated the counselor and all this shit. <laughs> like, and even he tells a story, too, about how he was approached by Donald Trump at one point and making a remark about all the pretty girls that were always on his arm. Yeah, yep. Uh, which might have happened, but you don't really know. And it kind of lines up with what they talk about. Uh, something else that they mentioned on here was something that we heard uh, whenever the guys, Evan Husney and Jason Eisner, were on uh, Chris Jericho's podcast at the beginning of the season, and they were talking about Marty, he refers to Gat, or himself being God's amusement toy. Um, and he basically says that, you know, a lot of these weird things happen because God he's God's toy that he uses to entertain himself when he has free time. And Al Snow really comes into play here because he says that 
he kind of scoffs at it and he says, that's way of, of Marty's way of ignoring personal responsibility for things. Yep. Um, and a lot of people refer to Marty as his own worst enemy. Um, it's, it's a weird nickname to give yourself. And they even bring up, uh, Mike, mean Mike Moran, who's known Janetti since the early territory days chimed in to say that his old peer has a nasty habit of hanging around strippers who use drugs. And he's like, who doesn't like that? But you just can't do that shit. Um, but you know, he, he said he doesn't complain when it gets him in trouble. So it, this is part of the thing that comes across and, you know, I don't know like when this started, when he started referring to himself as this, if this was something during his career, towards the end of his career or whatever. But to me, it seems kind of like this is part of the, the reason why I say that, you know, he might have some issues mentally. And that's um, that's kind of where the, the title of this episode came from, too. I, I know they were talking about that on the podcast you were mentioning, the, the world according to Marty, because it's just yes, he has this crazy perspective that's very specific to him. Yep. And then, of course, they get into the beginning of everything for Marty Gennetti, where he was working in the business for a couple of years. And in 1985, he'd run into a guy that he was supposed to work with named Shawn Michaels. Uh, he was kind of supposed to show him the ropes and kind of break him into the business. And they said they got along pretty, you know, pretty good and hit it off quickly. Um, and he said Gennetti found Michaels a little nerdy at the time, or like kind of geeky. Um, and he discussed this at length on here. He said Michaels was totally new to the trappings of life on the road and was just trying to get ahead by soaking in as much knowledge as he possibly could. Traveling night after night with Janetti must have been an eye-opening experience for him, however. And together, the Rockers gotten in all sorts of scrapes and jams. And then we get the story that we've heard time and time again, where they were originally hired by the WWF in 1987. And almost within the first night of being there, they were basically fired after getting into a bar fight uh, being, you know, dealing specifically with uh, Jimmy Jack Funk, who, you know, would go up to Michaels and bite a glass and said, bet you can't do this. And then Michaels broke a bottle over his own head. And then they proceeded to trash the bar by just throwing bottles and shit into the mirrors of the bar and everything else. Word would get back to the WWF owner, Vince McMahon, and they were promptly let go and essentially sent on to where they would work in the AWA. And it would eventually make their way back, as we all know, but it was just their their first strike of fame and their party in ways kind of got the best of them. And, you know, and I'm not saying it's it's Marty or, you know, Michael's fault here. And I've also heard they didn't really say it in here that the stories were kind of overblown because guys like to play politics. And if there's a new hot team coming into the territory, that kind of threatens other people's positions. So, so it might have been overextended events, you know, just to kind of get them out of there. Dude, and, and speaking of the AWA while we're at it, this brings up some unique and hilarious talking heads. Pat motherfucking Tanaka is on here yep. when, when he was yes, part of Bad is. Company because they had the rivalry with the Rockers. And then yep. Beefcake and his fucking goofy-ass wife, which oh, you have man. to have Beefcake on here for the barbershop. That's awesome they were able to get him due to Agreed. that. It's such an iconic moment, but still, man, just characters. But that's professional wrestling. That's what we love about it. Missy Beefcake. Absolutely. Yeah, Missy Beefcake. Or Missy <laughs> Leslie, because his last name's actually Leslie, not Beefcake. I know that might blow your mind. but um, And, of course, I was really happy they brought this up, because I didn't know if this was going to come up on, on this or not. But on December 11th, 1990, 
uh, would go on to become a pivotal night in Marty Jannetty's career. That night, he and Sean teamed up to face the genius and an enhancement worker named Chuck Austin on the WWF Superstars taping. Things went badly when uh, Chuck landed poorly during the rocker dropper and wound up paralyzed. Austin's legal team sued the WWF, Marty and Shawn Michaels for $10 million. He was eventually awarded $24 million, but appeals dropped the number back to 10. The WWF was found to be 90%, 90% responsible, uh, Chuck Austin 5%, and Jannetty another 5%, and Shawn's involvement was waived. Jannetty had to pay 5%, which would be $500,000 in total, and if believed, most of that sum was deducted from royalty earnings. There's an interesting moment in the documentary as Marty says Sean can step in shit and come out smelling like a rose. Um, but in fairness, the spot that hurt Chuck had nothing to do with Michaels because he wasn't in the ring at the time. But bottom line is, is you know, this was not really Janetti's fault. Like, we've known this story for a long time. Uh, and it's actually this moment that made the WWF decide to kind of change how they dealt with enhancement talent. So they would only work with defined groups of people that were trusted because as hard as it is to believe, previously, there were a lot of guys that would be enhancement talent that really had no right being in the ring. They weren't trained and they really didn't know what they were doing. I mean, Jeff Hardy was in there at 16 because he lied about his age. So that just shows you that you know, it's definitely something that they needed to to change. Of course, but it's a, it's a pivotal moment in his career. And, you know, it, man... Not even like two years later, the Rockers were done. Um, and you you wonder kind of how much that had to do with it as well. Um, but then they get into the moment of moments. It's probably the most infamous moment. And oddly enough, and this, how many times can you say this to Jay? The Rockers were a pretty well-known team and a pretty popular team. But no doubt, the most famous moment in their entire career as a team is when they broke up. And that was in 1992, where they were kind of going through the motions of the teams. You know, they were kind of having some bickering and some issues when they would lose matches and stuff like that. Uh, but it looked like they'd kind of made up and were getting ready to go back at it on the barber shop hosted by none other than Brutus the Barber Beefcake. And that would result into one of the most infamous breakups in wrestling history, as Shawn Michaels would turn on Marty Jannetty, super kicking him and throwing him through the barbershop window. Um, that always stuck out to me. I'd probably been watching wrestling up to that time for close to eight years, believe it or not. Um, but, nah, I'd say maybe six years now that I think about it. Um, but it, it's something that sticks out in my mind to this day. It's one of those moments, and we mentioned this on the show previously, like the, uh, the Macho Man getting bit by the Cobra, Dusty Rhodes getting you know, the stake in the eye, that kind of shit. This really sticks out as just a brutal moment in pro wrestling. And even to this day, man, for something that's happened that long ago, it really holds up well. And depending on what you believe, like you said, it's coming from a lot of kayfabe era guys and everything. Uh, and I believe it was that, that friend of his that was on this Karen. And she talks about the real fight between Marty and Sean and they got into this fight in the hotel room where Marty came in drunk and cussed out Sean. So Sean hit punches him and puts him through a window 
luckily they were on the bottom floor. So that, that might give some foreshadowing and, and maybe they threw that idea into WWE creative when they were talking about their breakup, like, Oh, I threw them through a window one time. Let's do that again. Yep. Very well. Cause you know, they like to bring real life into pro wrestling even back then. Um, but you know, it looked at that time and Marty was definitely worried um, that his career was going to go downhill as soon as they broke up and he wasn't wrong. But, a lot of that is his fault as well. Uh, of course, they kind of talk, uh, they get into detail with a lot of people about just his delusions in general. Of course, Bruce Beefcake, Mike Moran, uh, they claim Shawn Michaels just kissed Vince McMahon's ass, and that's why he got a major push instead of Marty. Um, but in fairness, you know, Marty was the liability, and Michaels was the more talented one out of the two. Uh, of course, HBK did kind of kiss some ass. There's no doubt about that. Um, but, you know, he was able to work himself into a viable character outside of the Rockers, which Marty never really did. Like, one thing I always thought was weird is, you know, like when Michaels went heel, he came back with a whole new gimmick. That's when the Heartbreak Kid thing started with him. But Marty would come out in his Rockers gear. Like, there was no attempt to really rehab Marty or change his character in any way. He was just the same old guy that you always remembered while all this time and effort was going into building HBK up into a new character because he would get Sensational Sherry as his, his manager at the time, and they were really putting the money into him. And one of the things that I always remember, and you probably will too, the Jake, because this is really when you were getting into wrestling. Um, if you remember Michael's wrestling during that time period, Bobby Heenan on commentary would always make comments where he's like, I could see Shawn Michaels being a future world champion and stuff like, like he really pushed that a lot. And obviously that would come into fruition just like three or four years after they started his initial push. Yeah. They, they missed the, the great thing that we always loved and we always like to shout out some of Heenan's highlights. But when Heenan was on commentary for the barbershop oh. incident, he's like, look yeah. at that. Marty tried to jump through the window to get away from him. <laughs> he's, he's like, what a coward this shit Eddie is. Yeah. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's like, didn't you see him just dive out that window to get away yeah. from from Shawn Michaels? And he's like, what'd you stop? Yeah, that's great. But but yeah, great moment in professional wrestling history for sure. Um, but, you know, there's no doubt that. Marty did have the opportunities to to get back in there, but every time they even say it, Marty has to have the record for the guy who was hired and fired the most times because they wanted to give him a chance. They even gave him the Intercontinental Championship. He would beat Shawn Michaels on an episode of Monday Night. That Raw. was a really good match. Yeah, and they remember they were they, they did that last match. I think it was at the Royal Rumble too. Yep. Um, where they, you know it was like Sherry was there and she was kind of like on both of their sides and everything, and then it all just died off. Because Marty would get, you know, in trouble yeah. all the time. And, you know, I guess it's it makes it look like to me that without Shawn Michaels there, and at least being the person that's like, you know, we like you're not going to fuck this up for both of us. When Marty's left to his own devices, it was just a nightmare. Oh, I mean, they, they talk about the time he was with a stripper and a cop found cocaine. So he had to do six months of house arrest. And this was crazy. This was one of the highlights. They had actual video of Marty in India riding a cop's motorcycle into a hotel and crashing that into a insane. guy that sends him into a water fountain. And the, the dude filming's like high spot, which reminds me of like when me and you ran into Foley and Foley like tripped uh, over a chair. We're like ECW, ECW. Like, easy crowd. But yeah, high spot. But that was nuts that they had that footage. Dude, 
And all I got to say is I watched this whole fucking episode. Who the hell got him that footage? Yeah. Where the hell did that come from? They, they talk about that in the the podcast we keep referencing, the Jericho podcast. They were on the preview this this season, the two showrunners. And they say the, they're one guy. He's like the right-hand man. They're like, dude, this dude finds everything. So they have, I would they have a guy that's just really good at scouring the internet. and Who knows? I really want to know where that came from. Yeah, and I want crazy. more. I want and, and dude, I want to see the whole thing. I don't want to just. I want to see what else they fucking captured on that that recording too. Yeah. But um, and of course, uh, they get into how HBK would go on to be one of the biggest superstars in wrestling after the fact. And uh, Marty definitely was really bitter about it. His friend Karen Walker revealed that Marty would literally pin pictures of Michael's face to a dartboard and lob darts at it in the mid nineteen nineties. He said he resented that Sean had become a main event type player in the WWF as he wallowed in his own misery on the independent circuit away from big paydays. Gennetti had previously positioned himself as a put-on tag partner who was unfairly shoved aside by an uncaring former friend. He's entitled to that view, and he'll definitely have insight into the friendship that somebody you know on the internet couldn't really necessarily appeal to. Um, but the fact that Marty hurled darts at him kind of shows that he kind of detested Michaels and it was a major problem. But, you know, he would get a major comeback again, even after all these problems back in 2005. And of course, it was Shawn Michaels that offered him that opportunity. Um, Michaels called him out of the blue and kind of, you know, wanted him to go to a born again ranch and kind of, you know, get himself straight, which he did. Uh, and he was brought back, you know, to team with Michaels as the Rockers during their feud with La Resistance. Um, he would go on to have a really good singles match with Kurt Angle on SmackDown as well that they didn't even talk about on here. Right. Um, and Marty says the WWE offered him a $1 million contract following that one-off reunion bout, which in my opinion is definitely not true. No. Um, they might have offered him a contract or something, but not a fucking million dollars. There's no way. Um, he wasn't doing much of anything before that anyways. Um, but of course, he would get in trouble with the police all over again. And WWE took whatever deal they were offering off the table. They couldn't be bothered dealing with more Gennady bullshit. And after suffering through that in the 1990s, that was that. Um, so, you know, wh what can you do? You know what I mean? At this point, his career was pretty much over. But it would not be the last time we hear from Marty Gennady. Um, just a year or two ago, this might even have been in 2020, um, Marty was entertaining himself on Facebook quite a bit, and he would go on there and have a major story that got picked up all over the place, even by the police department. Um, he trended on Twitter for claiming he made a man disappear when he was just 13 years old, and this whole thing is very confusing and weird, but... Uh, Gennetti basically explained that somebody tried to rape him as a teen. So he hit him with a rock and dumped the body into a river with a family member. Uh, to kind of further muddle the story up, Marty then calls most of it hypothetical. Police have investigated the whole thing, but have found no evidence of murder or any wrongdoing on, on Marty's behalf. So the idea that Gennetti killed somebody as a 13-year-old is hypothetical mumbling. I, I don't know how to put this, really. To make things even weirder, uh, the Vice documentary ends with Gennetti saying people will need to look through the smoke and mirrors. His recollections of this period in his life almost come across as a rambling wrestling promo, but nothing was cleared up on that side of things. Although 
whenever they talk to his friend Karen, it's something that she said that she absolutely believes. And also Al Snow said that that's something that Marty told him in the 1990s when they were teaming together as the new rockers. So there could be potential truth to this story. Um, it's really hard to say because, you know, as you mentioned, the Jay, Marty comes from that area of kayfabe and he definitely is like kind of playing that a little bit. Yeah, because there was an official statement from the Columbus Police Department and they said, we have no evidence of a murder, connected cold cases or missing persons concerning Mr. Gennady's allegations. And they did confirm they investigated the claim. So I, I just feel like, yeah, it's there's a, a bit of a story there. As we always say, hey, and that's the problem. Like you were talking about making it mercury, mercury, murkier and stuff, witching hour, that when you sprinkle in truth with fantasy, you know, it's like some of it, like maybe he did get hit on by a dude or something, maybe fought him, you know, but I don't think it's the whole thing where he dumped the body and all this shit. Or maybe even he did hit the fucking guy in the head with the rock and the whole nine, but he just didn't kill him. Right. You know what I, I just mean? Feel Something like, like that. Yeah, there's a lot more to it. But I mean, in, in, a, in a kind of positive thing, too, with he and Michael's relationship towards the show wrapping up, they, they do mention that he and Sean, like you said, ever since that phone call, uh, have kind of been okay, you know, and, and Al Snow gives him a lot of props. You know, Al brings up that the joke is that nobody wants to be Marty of the team. And he says, you would be lucky if you were, you know, that it's just true. shows you how good Sean was too, because Marty was good. And, and he mentions there would be no Sean Le Michaels at the level he is without Marty. And when Marty is asked about Sean, he notes that he loves him to death. There were seven years of a great relationship, and it has been great again since that phone call that you referenced had where Sean actually was the one that baptized them at, at that thing in Arizona. And Sean notes that they had one fight in seven years of being together 24-7, and that's not bad at all. So that's one thing. As much of a tumultuous relationship as it seems like they had, as far as today goes, you know, it seems like they're, they're okay. But again, Sean, Sean Michaels is off running NXT for the WWE system, you know, busy as hell every day living in Florida and, and Marty's just all beat up alone. Yeah. And I mean, I think that too, uh, something that, that Marty doesn't really get credit for that he should uh, is something that Shawn Michaels gets a lot of credit for. You always hear Michaels and Bret Hart given credit for being smaller guys in a big man era that were able to have success. And Marty's definitely part of that too. Marty had a successful career, especially for a guy his size. Whenever WWF was the land of the giants, uh, he was always a pretty solid worker and always managed to get work. I mean, for crying out loud, the guy worked there in the 80s, the 90s, and the 2000s. Right. So it's three different decades that Marty ended up being in a WWF ring. Um, and, you know, he had a pretty, that by all measurements, that's a pretty successful wrestling career. Uh, it is sad what's happened to Marty through the years, especially with his health and, you know, whatever else kind of going on with him. But, I will say this, man. I thought this episode was a little disappointing. Um, not a, a lot of new stuff was brought out or anything. This is all stuff that we basically knew. Um, and, you know, and the reason why I say it's disappointing is because they were building this up to be kind of the main event of the season, like the mind-blowing episode. That's, I think, the issue, too. We always say that it was kind of too built up in a lot of ways. And that's how, and that's how the creators said. They were like, oh, this is going to be the one that blows your mind. And it really didn't. You know what I mean? No, because once again, all his episode. stories are kind of up in the air. So that like that would have been the thing if it's like, oh, we found out more information about the, the murder allegation or something along those lines. But it's all kind of just like, yeah, we don't know what to believe. 
Yeah. And, you know, and there's because no closure of that, there. Yeah. Yeah. Very little anyways. And it's, and it's always a weird episode too, whenever it's about somebody and they're on it. You know what I mean? Most of these stories about people that have passed on for various reasons. Um, but you, you don't get any of that here. Um, you get Marty and he's still working people. Yeah. So good point. Um, but that concludes uh, this season of Dark Side of the Ring. Not a bad season. Um, it does make me wonder a little bit if they're starting to run light on material. Um, not that there were bad episodes this year, but just a lot of them that didn't really... like. For example, like the Matt Bourne one. Um, just situations where somebody passed away, but not a whole lot going on. You know what I mean? Like It's just kind of like random stories and things like that. Like even JYD. We knew that JYD had issues and things like that, but there weren't a whole lot of incidents to talk about. And that's kind of what the, you know, the whole season was. Like Bam Bam, even though I thought that one was really good, um, there weren't a lot of specific incidents. It was just guys that had issues with drugs and they passed away too early. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, I did enjoy the season. Um, hopefully they can continue to go on and find some more interesting stuff to talk about because there are definitely still some That's things what I was gonna say. they have yeah, yet to cover. The pro wrestling universe is so expansive going back in time that I'm sure they could drudge some some stuff up and material. The The other problem, too, comes into, and again, I, I just keep referencing because it's coming straight from the, the creators, that Chris Jericho podcast they were on to preview the season. And, you know, you have to have the appropriate – people to interview too to tell the story yeah. and permission for stuff so that comes into play as well with a lot of subjects absolutely but you know so be it i'm glad the show's still on the air um i do think they do a pretty good job with things for the most part so i'm not going to get too upset uh with the fact that i thought some of these were disappointing but it, they weren't terrible so at the very least i could say that much and you know i i thought that even though I was expecting a lot out of this one and didn't necessarily deliver that. Um, but it wasn't a bad episode at all. No, solid, solid season, man. Still, still love me some dark side of the ring as a lifelong pro wrestling nerd. As we are nauseatingly state. Hey, Ed, it's, it's still the shit. Oh shit. Hey, the J yeah, dudes on motorcycles. All right, guys, we're going to get all set up here. Um, we are going to take a quick commercial break. Whenever we come back, we're going back to 1986. Uh, Gary Busey, Eye of the Tiger, right after this, right here on the What's Real Podcast. Get him! Hey, Yins, guys! That's right, it's your boy, The J, once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the dub R question mark, the What's Real Podcast, and I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures. And the J can admit, for those consistently listening, week to week we have ads for Churchill Pictures. You may be rolling your eyes, but this time, this week, I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube, subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel, and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. 
Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube deference to be the unsung Churchill Pictures. We create worlds. It's time for Thursday Night Pride. And we're back. And we're fairly unscathed this week. I thought that worked out pretty well. <laughs> yeah, Knox is pumped. Uh, you know, we had a lot yeah. of kills this week. So get ready for after the show. Hey, Ed. Oh, we're gonna I'm, have a, I'm always ready. Yeah, we're going to have a bit of a party at the compound because it was another we're gonna have a, successful defense. It looks like we're having a pig roast. I swear to God, he has a pig down there yeah. with an apple in its mouth. This, is, this shit gets weird. I get, that's, this is why we can't do this all the time because we'd be living – like out in the middle of the Guatemalan jungle, if we follow what Nuck always does. Yeah, we definitely have to pace which, ourselves. Yeah, he doesn't, which is insane to me, but that's why he's who he is. Exactly, so. in general. But anyway, we go back to 1986 this week. We're going to check out Richard Safarian's Eye of the Tiger. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, yeah, because, yes, they use that song in this, which is very weird. That and a James Brown song, <laughs> yeah, which, which isn't. What the? <laughs> holy fuck. I thought it was uh, Living in America, and it's not. No, it was clearly like th- this movie has way more in common with Rocky than we ever really knew. <laughs> yeah. uh, Buck is a Vietnam vet recently released from prison. He returns home to discover the town being terrorized by a vicious motorcycle gang. When the bikers murder his wife and traumatize his daughter, Buck and his friends arm themselves to the teeth and wage war against the gang to destroy them once and for all. Uh, this movie, of course, stars Gary Busey, Yafit Koto. You have Seymour Cassell in this one. Uh, William Smith plays one of the baddies in this, and you can't go wrong with William Smith as a oh, bad no. guy in anything. Uh, and it's and dude, this is pretty awesome. I don't know if you realize this or not. Uh, Richard Safarian, the director, has made some really cool stuff. Uh, one of my favorite movies of all time is one of his movies that he made in 1971, Vanishing Point. Oh, really, really go. good movie. Yeah. Um, also did Man in the Wilderness. Uh, he did uh, Lolly Madonna, uh, Fragment of Fear. Uh, just some cool stuff. And uh, this is definitely the type of movie that he would kind of excel at for sure. Um, you can't really go wrong with a pure murder revenge story type thing. Um, they did pretty good. I thought the bikers were kind of cool and stuff. And, you know, William Smith playing the leader of those guys is also good. Um, but, you know, overall, like this one wasn't as goofy as I thought it would be. It was pretty straight. Yeah, it was straight. Yeah, they played it straight. Um, and, dude, uh, uh, Yafit Kono is always good in these types, like the sidekick role where he for some reason, thrives is like the sweaty guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which, and he did pretty good in this too, where he, you know, he's like a, a cop and he's trying not to lose his pension, but he wants to help his friend. And he runs a and of course and is a pilot. Yeah, and I also like the whole theory of like, you know, he's a Vietnam vet, so he's considered a hero to the town, but he also was in prison. So it's like the police that would typically come and help him just think he's full of shit. 
So he's kind of left on his own to fight this war other than like friends of his. And dude, I originally thought I never saw this movie. Um, but dude, this is so weird. I remember watching this back in the day. This was something that would have definitely been on uh, the Saturday afternoon movies on WPGH back in the day. So I definitely had seen it before, but it probably had not been for goddamn 30 years, if not longer. Um, but dude, the, the best way I can explain this one, honestly, it's rock solid. It's just a rock. It's, it's not great. Yeah. And it's not bad. It's they do everything they do is right. The, uh, you know, the effects and the explosions some are pretty Some great good. stunts. Got, you know, we always put Some that really, out. really good stunts. The motorcycle they guys. Do, the, the motorcycle guys look great. They do uh, a lot of cool shit where Gary Busey drives this souped up weaponized truck. So that was kind of cool. You know what I mean? But I was really kind of surprised with this one because I just thought it, it hit really well. Like it, everything that it did, it did a pretty good job with. It's not reinventing the wheel or anything like that. There's some goofy stuff in it, but nothing that I would like tell me like, oh, this this movie fucking sucks. Don't watch this. I would recommend this to people for the most part. I would too. We we had to come back from last week's Death Ring, which was yes, just a we complete did. turd. But yeah, like we mentioned uh, with the our banter off the air, preparing for the the Death Ring segment, we're like. Dude, this review might be five minutes. This was a piece of shit, but we spent like 25 minutes just ripping on it, so it worked out. But we we definitely needed to to have a comeback with some true classic TNP, and that's what Eye of the Tiger brought. Because on top of it, a big plot point is Seymour uh, Cassell's character, the sheriff, is corrupt. And yep. he he's a great protagonist because he gets under your skin. He's like racist. He says some shit to uh, Yafit Kodo's character, JB. You know, calls him boy and shit. Like, you know, he definitely gets under your skin. You want to see him get his. And this was before the the era of the lead hero having to do all the right things and not kill somebody out of cold blood because Busey just murders Cassell <laughs> straight yes, up. Yes, he does. He just Absolutely. leaves him in the in the truck for the explosion. But yeah, it has a, a really good climax. With that, where they build up to it, they build up really very good. well to it. As we mentioned, JB Kodo's character is is flying a plane, blaring some fucking James Brown. They're and they're blaring dancing while he, while he throws <laughs> grenades yeah, at and, people from the plane. And of course, he he looks like Snoopy. He has the fucking scarf <laughs> around his neck, and it's like the open plane. You know, I was dying at that. Oh, that shit was uh, hilarious. But that's, you know, you can tell by our reaction, man. This was just a really fun, well put together, entertaining late 80s movie. And dude, okay. So now with a lot of these movies, right? Like the pure action movies like we do on here. Uh, there's, they're either like vanilla and kind of boring or they're not. And when they're not, there's specific reasons why they're not. And it's like when things for no apparent reason just get crazy as shit. Yeah. So at one point in this movie, one of the bikers gets accosted by them and they fuck the dude up pretty badly. And the dude ends up in the hospital oh, with a crushed larynx so call. he can't talk. So whenever Busey's fucking daughter gets kidnapped by the gang, he proceeds to dress like a doctor, sneak into the room with all the police there, and he needs to get the location of where his daughter is. And the guy can't talk. So he promptly gives him pen and paper 
Well, he, he vaselines up a stick of dynamite and sticks it up the dude's ass. I was dying. And the dude, and it's a dud, and the dude ends up dying from a heart attack. <laughs> that was great. It's One of the a, best kills when you think about it ever. Absolutely, dude. I fucking was going Super nuts. creative. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. And dude, it's really weird to say this nowadays, because what fucking Gary Busey has devolved into. But in the mid-80s, and it reminds me too, like of um, Silver Bullet too. Gary Busey was very good back in the oh, day dude, this is his at playing like the normal everyday guy, like just the guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, the whole and like you want to have a beer with them. Yes, girls are like feel he, safe by them. Everybody's buddy kind of thing, yeah. like a good dude. You know, it just he really worked in that type of role. So it's not a mystery why he would be cast in something like this. But, dude, it's kind of weird to me, though, that a movie like this with Yafit Koto and him, two bankable stars, especially in 1986. I mean, you know, they're like the Buddy Holly story and Alien came out probably about five or six years before this. So they were bankable actors. But this one, for some reason, was just a blip on the radar. It came and went. And that's one of the things I like about doing Thursday Night Prime is occasionally we'll be able to pull something like this out, thanks, by the way, to Tubi, who has a fantastic collection of stuff like this on there that anybody can watch for free, guys. So if you want to check stuff like this out, download Tubi, watch it for free. Absolutely worth it. Um, but really, really good overall with, with what they are. And to be able to find stuff like this and kind of like put it on display again and rediscover it after so many years, it's one of the reasons why I really like doing this segment on the show. I agree. Yeah, this was a gem. It really was for a first watch. Busey in his prime action movie, Eye of the Tiger with the music and everything. Because, of course, pretty much bookends the movie, which you would predict. You know, they don't overuse it. They just have it at the beginning credits. And then, of course, the climax and action sequence at the end with Eye of the Tiger. But still to this day, hey, Ed, watching Rocky a million times over since we were young kids, Eye of the Tiger still pops, man. <laughs> you know, it's, It does. Talk about pump up. Yeah, it still does. Because, dude... They they use it in this one pretty well. Yeah, like they it, did. They obviously use it at the beginning of the end, but like when they're gearing up to go fucking kick some ass, yep. and it just kicks in, and I'm like, yeah, it is. It's a fucking classic banger, man. You really can't go wrong. Yeah, with Kodo sits tiger. next to him. He's like, you got a plan, <laughs> you know? And it's like plan. So that was and then good. they fucking drive the trucks and gear everything up and just start fucking attacking yeah, bikers. And, and like you said, yeah, the end is that ape shit shit you would want. Just shit blowing up. They're at the biker compound. You know, William Smith's character Blade versus Busey one on one. Dude, hand yeah, in the combat. tough in the tough guy fight like not karate like two dudes just beating the, beating shit, the shit out of each, each other, other kind of thing. And we said it's great because you know of course the the bikers are, are drug dealers. They they their fight leads into this tent <laughs> and. And William Smith gets thrown on this table full of coke. So he has coke all over him. And Busey punches him in the stomach. And this big cloud of cocaine comes out of his mouth. <laughs> it's like, did he die from the beating? From the beating or from the, the cocaine? OD. Did yeah. He, yeah. Did he make him OD like Scarface with his head stuffed in a mountain of cocaine? <laughs> yeah. We don't know. And it doesn't matter. Because this one's a lot of fun. A, a great quote from Quota at one point. He's like, I'm going to put this truck right up his ass. <laughs> I also like too how everything fluctuates very quickly with Yafit Koto, where he's like, "The hell you doing? I'm gonna lose my pension." Three seconds later, so we're gonna kill all these sons of bitches or what? Yeah. I'm like, like, goddamn, he has no qualms about anything unless it's about losing his pension. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's fucking great. This was a good one, but yeah, 
Really enjoyed this one. It's totally the type of macho bullshit you like to see in these movies. It's it is pretty straight laced in a and it's a you know pretty decently paced revenge movie. You know you have that scene where he break he like goes into the bingo hall and he's basically bitching out the whole town for just no that was, basically allowing all this shit to happen. Dude, that was a great one. So you know for those that haven't seen it, Busey's just at the end of his rope. The corrupt sheriff and the biker gangs taking over the town motherfucker was a vietnam hero got wrongfully put in prison his wife got murdered <laughs> he's like his daughter's in trouble he's like you motherfuckers what's going on with your town goes through his full monologue of the movie and at the way end he just storms out because nobody's going to help him and the little old lady on the stage is like b94 yeah, it just goes right 94. back to it. <laughs> it, yeah that was like good, my god that was a good one yeah but you know they, it still manages to be a really really interesting movie um because of that it's it's plenty entertaining uh you can't go wrong with evil bikers and drug dealers against one man um a shout out to the scotty bros um who definitely uh i don't know if you if you know you know who these guys are but they generally make stuff like this um but you know it's not even bad because of that it just in the 80s this stuff kind of worked so it was really cool to bring this back up here on the show and, and kind of relive it because i really enjoyed this one so uh as we do here on the show the j hit us with a tagline for eye of the tiger all right the poster tagline nom was hell prison was murder now he's home fighting for his life but the really good one which makes so much sense is just a man and his will to survive the eye of the tiger <laughs> see what they do oh. there ding 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 ding, ding, ding ding but as we do here on the show we have a five star rating scale i give eye of the tiger three and a half stars yeah i'm right with you solid three and a half awesome so Hope you guys enjoyed that. Of course, if you want to check it out, you can watch it right now on Tubi. But we are up against our very last commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and talk some goofs. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Real Podcast. This is it from the What's Real Podcast for Height Apparel, your one-stop shop for fashion retail. For one-of-a-kind shopping experience, stop by Height Apparel. Founded by Eric Walker, our business brand is based around people who are of average height, 5'10 and under. We will have the season's greatest fashion picks. Whether you're on the lookout for men's clothing or accessories, stop by and browse our latest collection. That's Height Apparel, H-Y-G-H-T, apparel.com. Again, that's HeightApparel.com. Hey, everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Goofs. And we're back, and it's that time once again, the Jay. So, what do we got this week on the goof front? Uh, another beautiful day at the lagoon. Hey, uh, our animals are thriving. Knocks down there, sunbathing, which is hilarious as fuck. Some crazy cats yeah. on that man. A lot of scars. And in a, in a speedo, nonetheless, of course. which is very disturbing. The banana hammock, you know, General Nuxworth <laughs> is going to happen. But, uh, you know, this is the setting upon all settings. Down from the Woods Rule Studios Lagoon, it is the Waterfall of Goose, representing Goose or Goose for episode 176. We're going to start off with this one, hey, Ed, where a supermarket closed over fears of a spider capable of causing a permanent erection. Can you believe this story? 
Man, the money that you'd be able to get for this spider. It was in an Austrian supermarket, of course. So you know our boy, the Austrian oak himself. Like I was, I was doing in Austria because a spider <laughs> with a bite that can cause permanent boners invades a store and forces evac. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're, they they had to uh, close the store down because of everybody that's trying to break in to get bit by the spider. Exactly. <laughs> a, a supermarket in Austria was evacuated after a highly venomous spider was spotted in a store. And the creature has a bite that can not only kill, but also cause permanent erections. The deadly arachnid in question is the Brazilian wandering spider. Hey, Ed, if you want to look for one, it was reportedly spotted in the store. And the creature has reached Europe before, usually by hiding in bunches of bananas being shipped. It's four uh. inches black and red and apparently popped up at the penny supermarket in Kremsan de Dor, which is about 45 miles west of Vienna. The store called authorities after the sighting and the shop has been shut it down ever since as the spider is still on the loose despite an extensive search, which included sealing all the banana crates. So this is uh jokes abound here, man. Bananas, boners. It just to me, this whole situation sounds very hard. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm bummed. We both lost our minds officially. Witching hour. Yeah, I sent you this Thank one directly because this was something you have to see with your own eyes, hey, Ed. As a school children might be delivered one day to their homes through this innovative transportation system. This is in Japan. And basically, for those listening, it's like an underground railroad. And it just pops the kids up out of the train just right in their house. Like the houses have like little underground sealed things that open up is this yeah, not crazy cool. something we'd never be able to do in this country just because of political red tape alone yeah like uh, like the first yeah, comment we're dear parent the delivery of your little one has been canceled for technical reasons thank you so you just yeah, never see like, your four-year-old again please email customer support for more information we'll reach out to you within 24 hours <laughs> this was a great one I just sent the uh, the video. Every pleasure in life has a price. And this dude got caught cheating. I guess he was banging some married woman. And the husband comes home. And so he throws uh, out the classic rope oh, the, out of the balcony. The dude, the dude's. Oh, I thought the dude was going to go chase him. Well, he, he's, he's like three stories up going down this rope. The dude's trying to like knock him off. He's like shaking the rope and stuff. But the dude's in his boxer shorts and socks, but he does uh, end up getting away. So this is a classic thing. L literally the great escape. <laughs> yes. And then the, the lady on the second floor downs hitting him with a broom. Do you see this? Which is, yeah, which would be great until you get hit with attempted murder for doing that shit. <laughs> yeah. He's like, this was Jeez. all caused by the, the supermarket and the spider. They're like, what are you talking about? You're under arrest. Yeah, I mean, holy fuck. That's so this some dude responded. He's like, man, that lady got a lot of sheets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she has more sheets than Pennsylvania. If you get that one. Um, I do. Yes. This this is a, our creature feature of the week. Hey, Ed, a, Galapag oh, a Galapagos boy. marine iguana. They are a species of iguana found only in the Galapagos Islands in Ecuador. As we see the video, the one in the video is foraging in the sea for algae, which makes up for most of its uh, diet. And we were just talking about Godzilla. These things are like mini it, Godzilla, man. I want one, I actually. Yeah, that, like the first That's one said, up. sea dragons are real after all. 
the second one. I thought that was literally Godzilla. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if this. If, I wonder if they can shoot lasers out of their eyes or just rate like a. If you radiated one of these things, would it become as big as Godzilla? Because I hope so. If you're good, hey, I Ed, literally hope that's. We're I hope that's how the world ends. Frankly, <laughs> if you're good, that that is possibly going to be your Christmas gift this year from Cam and I. So I can't wait. Play your cards. Oh right. my god! Yes, I'm going to. Th- this next one's hilarious because uh, my kids they were just watching one of the kung fu pandas and it's entitled okay. kung fu panda and it's panda bears in the rain it looks like something from a bruce lee movie it's yeah, it's right and they're just does. going at it <laughs> on the steps in a rainstorm yeah. it's like the the climax of an action film speaking of thursday night prime somebody needs to literally like add the fucking music from like <laughs> enter the dragon yeah <laughs> Great, great footage. Real life Kung Fu pandas. This next one I just sent you because you need the picture. In 1731, King Frederick I of Sweden was gifted a lion, one of the first lions in Scandinavia. But it died shortly after it was given to him. So a taxidermist uh, put it together. And the end product is has to be seen to be believed. Because <laughs> he had never, Dude. the taxidermist <laughs> and the museum keepers never saw a lion before it was the first one in Scandinavia, so they didn't know how they were supposed to look. So the resulting <laughs> mount was especially anatomically incorrect, most apparent in its face. And it looks like something a little kid put together. Or Dude, no, it, it, it looks together. It looks like uh, you had AI make a picture of yeah. one. <laughs> <laughs> it looks so bad. It's amazing. Next up, in the mountains, mountainous parts of the northern peninsula of Malaysia... In an area of about 100 kilometers in radius, there are snails amongst the rarest in the world called Platma twetidae. And I just sent you a what picture of it, eh? Platinum twetidae. <laughs> Would you eat one of these? All right, I'm waiting for the picture to come in here. Yeah, I'm going to see if... Oh! I thought it was yeah, a fruit roll. Fuck no. No, absolutely not. Yeah, it looks toxic. Exactly. Jesus. Speaking of... Yeah, and I'm at... And it's like there's probably a restaurant that serves them, and it's like it's only twenty three thousand dollars for a plate of these. It's like the, the Simpsons when Homer ate the blowfish. It's like yeah, this oh, yeah, yeah. has a sixteen percent chance to kill you. But I'm there's gonna, I'm four people anyway. in the world that that know how to cut it properly so you don't die. <laughs> Speaking of lions, now we have a real life lion. As this at crazy clips only, dude taunts a lion and finds out. And this idiot's. Am know, I going to see? Am, Am I going to see this dude get his hand? Oh, shit. Yeah, his hand's done. the rest of that. His finger's yep, done. Don't want to. Dude, it's so fucking funny because it starts biting him and the camera goes away and all you hear him goes, fuck, <laughs> fuck. It's like, bro, you're going to need a lot more than that. Yeah, like, he's what, finally what able to, to get his finger what? out of the, the lion's mouth, but he's probably really hurt. What the fuck did you think was going to exactly. happen, dude? Like, you're, I'm going to keep like fucking with this lion. I can't believe he bit my hand off. Like, I know, bro. Who would have thought? <laughs> it's a fucking lion. Next up is Hulks and Cocks hate you. As oh. th- this is just titled, Good Morning. There's Hulk Arms for Chickens <laughs> 3D print. And it's hilarious. <laughs> They're only 10 bucks, too, hey, yeah. You you would want if you had a rooster you would get these for it. Yeah. And every time somebody comes over you'd be like, let me show you the incredible cock. Yeah, like look at the Hulk arms we bought for our pet cock. It's Jack, bro. The first the first comment: Don't give chickens so much power. 
<laughs> Dude, this next one's our, mean, our viral video. I couldn't wait for you to watch this. This fat, he looks like Kingpin from uh, Marvel. He's trying to climb oh a, a fence by a pool and jump off the fence into the pool. Of course, he slips oh, man. and does a face plant. I can't plant, wait to see this. But the best part is he kind of does a pro wrestling sell. Okay, let's see like what we got Double here. bump. To the, to the Pink Panther music? Yeah. Oh! oh, but do you see how he looks up kind of after he hits? Yes. Like, like he's but selling his, it, but it was just real. Yeah, but it's his face bouncing off the fucking pool. I'm sure you this saw this. This gives new meaning to uh, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Luckily, he wasn't made, made of eggshell, but he's hurt. He probably would have been better off being made of eggshells. This was the uh, the viral video of the, the nation at a preseason game at Ford Field in Detroit. It says, someone come pick up grandpa. And, ah! and you see him just zooming in on the cheerleader's ass. <laughs> and they're getting footage this, of him behind him. I, I'd buy him a fucking beer. Yeah, like I'm looking at the same thing. Gramps. Hey, let this fucking man live, bro. Yeah. Come on. He earned that, right? He probably fought in multiple wars. If he wants to take fucking shots of a cheerleader's ass from the 37-yard line, let the man do that shit. And I'm impressed by how powerful the zoom on his phone is. Next up is from at what we witnessed. So check this one out. Hey, bud. and oh, the chainsaw fuck. and he stupidly cuts a tree and it swings and uh, eradicates oh. him. Yeah, it's, talk about the shadow realm, dude. It's like he literally got hit by like a fucking like a pendulum. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. This next one was great. We'll, we'll end it here because I have a ton of videos this week. Um, but this this was the story of the week like we like to do, and it goes with some great footage. Uh, but this shot is unreal when you watch the footage, hey, Ed? So a fan of the Chicago Bulls successfully made a remarkable shot during a 1993 game, winning a million-dollar prize. Uh, of course, cue uh, Will Ferrell and uh, what was the basketball movie, The Usual Brain Fart? Oh, semi-pro. Semi-pro with uh, – what was, what was the, it's the dude, our boy, that was from uh, – where he keeps trying to fool him with like the he's like no bank takes this huge check yeah from from bad he's news like, bears what the hell's his name he's oh uh, fuck the guy who played freddy yeah i'm an idiot we're brain oh. but he, his name in oh. that was like dukes he's like we have yeah. dukes <laughs> and he makes the full court shot well the, well this guy did it for real the shot nicknamed the calhoun shot or the immaculate connection occurred when Don Calhoun made a 75-foot shot from the opposite free throw line during a timeout at the third quarter of the Bulls versus Miami Heat in 93. And it was part of a promotional campaign offering a million-dollar reward to any fan who could achieve it. However, an insurance company named American Hole-in-One Inc. initially invalidated the payment, citing a technicality due to Calhoun's past involvement in college basketball, which violated the rules. Despite the setback, both fan and player uproar ensued over the non-payment. Eventually, the sponsors of the promotion, including Coke and the Bulls, decided to honor the payment. As a result, Calhoun received 50000 annually for the next two decades, totaling the promised million-dollar prize. Interestingly, Calhoun mentioned that Michael Jordan later remarked, we made them pay it, referring to the collective effort that led to the sponsors fulfilling the payment. But how amazing is that, dude? A three-quarter shot. And then that's followed up for our final line, hey, Ed. What do you got, though, before I throw it to you? I, I was going to say, this is like such an amazing feat in 1993. And now this is like, 
Steph Curry hits these in a yeah, game. Yeah, it's just what he does. <laughs> in practice. You talking yeah, about practice? Like, oh, I, hit, I hit these all the time. All right, I'm going to put this up. So this was another one that said, this is the best shot of all time. I can't believe this happened. It's a guy in a hot oh. dog suit. He says, oh, what's your name? He says, most people call me Robbie, but you could call me anytime. <laughs> and then he proceeds to hit a half-court shot in a hot dog suit. Yeah, yeah. This is like, this is something I would do just acting like an asshole and it would all work out. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is literally going to be the thing everybody remembers me for now. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I cured cancer, but it was like, shut up, hot dog guy. Yeah. Great. My name's Robbie, but you can call me anytime. This one I just sent you. I'm going to use that. It's the last of two. It's titled, I honestly recommend watching the entire Lord of the Ring trilogy with Swedish subtitles on just for this beautiful moment. And if you fast forward to the end, it says the end in American. And then in Swedish, it says the end, which is <laughs> slut. <laughs> the end. Slut. No, I think you're, I, yeah, it was just saying the end, slut. <laughs> yeah. Like it, it's like you're probably some dumbass whore. So the end. And last but not least is one of our show's mascots, personal friend of the show, 90 Day Fiance's Big Ed, where he <laughs> he was a three-foot <laughs> leprechaun during a past life. <laughs> this fucking asshole. It makes total sense. Makes total sense. Actually. During, yeah, during past life regression therapy on last resort, Big Ed learned he was a three-foot-tall leprechaun. And we also, it, you know, it's so weird because we've been calling people this for years, the J, but we didn't realize he's the OG of it and where it originally comes from. He is the no-neck boy. No-neck bow. And as I say to my bow from another bow, between spiders capable of causing permanent erections School children traveling the Underground Railroad, cheaters going down the most sheets a woman has ever owned, real life fucking kung fu pandas and Godzillas, <laughs> terrible lion taxidermists, dudes taunting lions, cocks with Hulk hands. I can go on and on. Hey, Ed, and so can the goofs because goofs are goofs. So that's about it for us here this week on episode 176 of the What's Real podcast. If you're listening on iTunes, feel free to give us a five-star review. It helps out the algorithm and gets more eyes and ears on the program. And of course, you can listen to us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, and each and every week on churchillpictures.com. If you'd like to add something to the show, you can do so by email. Send us an email at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Again, that's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Uh, shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work that he puts into the show, because as we know here on the program, nobody beats the Wiz and the J, Clang Clang. Still the undefeated tag team champions of podcasting, and we're going to keep that going as well. So that's it for us this week. But before we get out of here, hear the J revving it up. So the J, take it away. Revving it up like I'm a five foot ten leprechaun. Hey, Ed, in a former life with a huge penis. And instead of my traditional purple head, I have a green head. It's a, another life head, if you believe in that sort of thing. Love the show. Shout out to our producer, the wizard behind the boards and the blood flowing flesh. Thanks for what you do, Cam. That consistent, constant weekly 16K sound. We appreciate you. Couldn't do it without you. Hey, Ed, my brother, another great trip, man. Love escaping with you. We're 
Rob McQueen in it or Chad McQueen in it or Steve McQueen in it, but we're doing the great escape and having a blast together. If you're hearing my voice right now, we truly appreciate you. Thanks for coming on the ride. Keep supporting, spread, spread the word of the what's real podcast. Like us on social media, much love to you. Stay safe, stay healthy. You'll hear the J next week. So that's it for us this week here on the show. Don't forget to join us next week for episode 177 and beyond. So stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you here next week on the What's Real Podcast. What's real? What's real?